for our scripture, which comes this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who are working with you, leading you, and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly. Comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every situation, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the Spirit, don't brush off Spirit-inspired messages, but examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself cause you to be completely dedicated to him, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming. The one who is calling you is faithful and will do this. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. By the Lord's authority, I order all of you to have this letter read aloud to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you'd be seated. <clears throat> it's good being here with you all this morning. Um, we have air conditioning today. Uh, now, for those of you on my right, your air conditioner is not working, but the one on the left is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I should say, I, you know, we, um, Andy Cox with Cox Refrigeration, they timed it to where we would hopefully not have a we would have air conditioning every Sunday and so I appreciate him uh, he was here yesterday morning getting things finished up on the one sanctuary air conditioner but the narthex ones are done they replaced all five on this part of the building and I think the roofing is coming to a close and so that's good it's just clean up finish up which you know will probably take till November but that's okay um, <laughs> it's still a blessing and so um so thank you, all of you, for your patience. I know it's been fun some Sundays when it's been windy over the weekend and we've had junk in the parking lot, and it's just, uh, it'll be good. So I want to begin this morning by asking you the question, how many of you can speak more than one language fluently? You don't have to show me your hand, but how did you learn that second or additional language? Was it in a classroom? Was it in your home? Were you in another country where you were forced to learn because you were immersed in this other country and this other language? Or and so did you have to learn, learn it out of necessity? I have to be honest with you all. Mindy and I were joking about this last week, but I've probably taken enough Spanish classes in my life to be fluent. I took Spanish in middle school, high school, and even a couple of semesters in college. And let's say that I am anything but fluent or even close to being anything to adequately do anything in Spanish. In seminary, I even took a Spanish for ministry course. Uh, we had to take um, a, a class at another seminary that was part of this consortium of seminaries in the D.C. area. And so I went to the Catholic seminary. And one of the, the, the classes was Spanish for ministry, and it was pretty interesting. So rather than learn Spanish and learn how to, to talk, or, you know, 
work it through in your mind to have a conversation with someone. The focus of that class at the time was how to read Spanish. So basically, if you ever had to do something in a worship service that contained Spanish, you wouldn't butcher it completely. One additional thing that made this class interesting, um, the professor was a nun named Sister Doris, and she was fluent in Spanish, and so during the whole, that whole semester, she had gone to Rome twice because they were working on this Spanish book of worship. And so she had to go to the Vatican and meet with these groups. And I mean, so that part is probably what made the class most interesting is because she'd come back and kind of tell us what had been happening and what they were doing, which for us Protestants was very different because, you know, we don't have a standardized book of worship. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a little different, like the Roman Catholic Church and stuff like that. So in one of the commentaries I was reading on First and Second Thessalonians, which is what we're looking at this month and next month, I found it helpful that the author uh, wrote that what they were doing in First and Second Thessalonians is compared to what it is trying to do when you and I learn a new language. And so essentially what the author said was that Paul and the earliest apostles are trying to teach this new language to people that have never heard it. And so they had these new communities of faith who had discovered the grace of Jesus Christ. They had um, prayed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and they were trying to figure out what it meant to be now a follower of Jesus and how to talk differently or how to live differently because of the new language that they had learned. And so many of us, if you think about it, you've learned your first language without really having to work on it. Most of us, if English is your primary language, you learned it in the home, didn't you? It is spoken in the home when you were a baby, when you were a toddler, and then as children you got older. And we learn much of our first language without reading a book about it, without watching videos on it, and really without doing anything except listening. Because we're immersed in it. And so Paul is trying to teach the Thessalonians, this new church community, a new language. And that language, as we know of it, is called Christianity. And so if you think about it, that's why we have all of the letters in the New Testament following the Gospels, isn't it? Because Paul and Peter and James and John were all trying to teach a new language to this, these new communities of faith that had sprung up in different communities, and they were helping them to learn how they needed to, to, to learn this new language. A second language for them. The language of being followers of Jesus Christ. In effect, they had to, to learn a new mother tongue or, or a first language of the Christian faith. And they had to learn this new language so that it was more than just a head language. But they had to learn the language of the Christian faith so that it became a part of who they were in their heart. A language that, that wasn't just what they said, but it was a language that was a shift where Christ was in their hearts and to where uh, who they were and who they were becoming became evident. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which we read last week, Paul kind of sets up this next passage of Scripture that we're talking about today because he said, or he wrote, God didn't intend for us to suffer His wrath, but rather to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so like we looked at last week, Paul's intent in sharing the gospel is so that as believers, you and I may possess 
the salvation that God has given us. It isn't so that we can um, suffer wrath. It isn't so that we can be punished. It isn't so that we can experience all of these things and these negative connotations that people may talk about when it comes to the Christian faith. But if you look at it, Paul says the reason all of this happened is so that you and I can possess salvation. And so if you frame all of his teaching in that kind of idea, then it all kind of starts to come together. Because basically what he is saying in this scripture is that as believers, we have to possess salvation. And so becoming fluent in God's language doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you become a follower of Jesus and go, and everything changes immediately, is it? What we learn is that, is that learning God's language is not immediate, and it doesn't become our new language if we're not willing to work on it and apply ourselves to our faith. We have to make an intentional choice to, to start working towards improving ourselves to fully accept who God has made us to be and to receive the salvation that He has offered us through Jesus Christ. And so in the scripture we read this morning, Paul talks about this. And so he's framed it by saying, you know, God didn't intend for us to suffer his wrath, but rather to possess salvation. He's framing it by saying, how can we possess salvation? And then in the verses we read this morning, or just a few minutes ago, he's saying, here's how you can possess salvation. Or here's how you can grow in your knowledge of salvation. Here's how you can grow in who you are and how you're receiving it. Here's how you can become fluent in the language of Christianity so that it becomes more than a language that we just speak in our minds, but it becomes a language that we speak in our hearts. And so he writes, Brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who are working with you, leading you, and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work, period. Live in peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. So in these verses, Paul is framing to the Thessalonians how, now that they have become followers of Jesus Christ, they can possess salvation. And he's writing for, to them how important it is for them to do two things and for them to stay connected to the community of faith. And so the first that he tells them is to seek out teaching in the new language of the gospel of Jesus. Because if their purpose and our purpose is to possess salvation, as Paul writes, or to pursue salvation, then they're to seek it out. They're to find sound teaching. They're to place themselves in places where, where they experience the gospel, where people preach the gospel, where people teach the gospel, where we are able to bounce and, and learn together. But then he goes a step further, and we can go a step further in, in reading in how his other letters read, where he talks about how in receiving the gospel, we're also to receive encouragement. And in receiving encouragement, we're to be held accountable in our faith and to how we, we live it out. See, I think to Paul, we can't receive salvation if we're not willing to place ourselves in a position where we hear the gospel. I think if you read Paul, 
he would say we cannot work towards our salvation if we're not being confronted by the gospel. And if we frame it in terms of learning a new language, we can't learn the mother tongue or the first language of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we do not put ourselves in places where we're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. See, folks, I think what Paul is saying to the earliest Christians is that it's awfully hard for us to learn and grow as Christians if we're not intentionally placing ourselves in positions where we will hear and where we'll encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hard for us to learn the first language or the mother language of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ if we don't regularly hear that language in our daily lives. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast. I know I've shared with you all that I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Denise may not always love them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, one of the podcasts I was listening to this past week, the podcaster uh, has recently, like in the past couple years, uh, decided that his Christian faith was important. And so he's decided, I mean, he's moved from L.A. to Nashville um, you know, is surrounding himself with different people, making different things. And this last week, they were talking about music and how he used to listen to certain types of music. And then now he has found that he can't listen to those types of music because they present to him and put him in places and positions where he needs to hear the word of Jesus rather than other words. That's learning the first language of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? Because it's when we begin to do that in our walk with Jesus as a people of hope, as a people of faith, as a people who believe that God always calls us to the next thing, to the better thing for us, then we can't be content with where we're at. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, when it comes to being someone who is committed to live our lives in a way that, that everything we do is a response to how God is working in and through our lives and has worked in and through our lives in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. For us to learn the first language of the Christian faith, for us to reinforce the first language of the Christian faith, means we have to put ourselves in places where we're hearing that language taught and where we're challenged by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we're challenged to be better, where we're challenged to be a people who, who live in an even greater way into the hope that God offers us through His Son. And so in addition to, to doing that, we also have to place ourselves... Um, Paul also, he builds on this. He tells the Thessalonians, not only do you have to listen to good teachers, but you also have to be surrounded by community. And see, here's where I think there's a challenge. I had lunch this week with a friend, and, and we were talking about podcasts, and he said, well, what Christian podcasts are you listening to? And I guiltily said, not many, um, which really meant none. Uh, <laughs> how many times did you do that? Oh, a few times. Well, really zero. Um, but so, so there's a, uh, I think there's some conflict in that as I'm thinking about it. Because one, I think it's really easy for us today, in the convenience of our own home, to catch worship, to listen to podcasts, and to listen to different teachers, and get sound biblical teaching, okay? But I think the challenge is that, is when we're listening and when we're reading the Gospels, and the go or not the Gospels, but the letters, and they're telling us to be a part of community, you know, listening to podcasts and catching things online only isn't that. Is it? 
It doesn't mean that we're sitting with other people and we're encouraging them and, and we're being encouraged ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're surrounding ourselves with other people where we're being held accountable, they're being held accountable. We're able to, to prop each other up, to learn together, to grow together, to experience faith and life together. And so Paul's telling the church, you've got to be a part of a community. You can't just be a follower of Jesus without staying connected to others. And for us to learn the first language of what it means to be a Christian, for us to reinforce that first language that so many already have, but we're never done, are we? I mean, it's like when your, your child learns, you know, whatever their first language is. I mean, I'll say English because, of course, that was our children. But they still could grow even when they could talk well and everyone could understand them. Just like we can all still grow. Whether we use phrases or, or insert things into how we talk that make it hard for other people to listen. Paul tells the Thessalonians, for them to learn this language, they have to surround themselves with other people. It's then that we can learn. It's then that we can grow. It's then that we can prop one another up. It's then that we can give comfort. It's then that we can share strength. It's then that we can be the church. Friends, I don't know how you can be a part of the church and expect to receive all of the things that you receive without being together. And being a part of a community is more than just watching from a distance. For us to learn together the first language of Jesus Christ, we have to use that language with other Christians. You know, I didn't write this in my sermon, but you know, it made me think, like, I don't know how people go through funerals that don't have a church to support them. I don't know how people are able to, to confront and face death and confront and face medical emergencies in their families or other things without a community of faith to journey with them. I know so many of you have experienced those things in this place, and the church allowed you to, to know that you were not alone, right? And in turn, when other people experienced the same things that you experienced, you were able to offer to them those same gifts that you had been blessed by, by being a part of the community of faith. See, that's what Paul's saying. Listen to sound teaching. Find someone that, you know, be confronted by the gospel. Listen to the gospel. Grow as you hear and read the gospel. And then surround yourself with a group of people to lift you up, to build you up, and a group of people that you're part of a community with. Because for us to be learning the language of Jesus Christ, we can't do it from a distance, but we have to do it with each other. Right, so in addition to finding these places where we receive sound teaching and, and being a part of a community, Paul provides a checklist at the end of his letter. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've often read this passage of Scripture and just boom, 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 boom. Uh, in, in chapter 5, verses like 16 through 19. But I appreciate the way different uh, commentaries, Paul writes this, this checklist, basically, if you will. And you'll see it on the next slide where, where he talks about different ways that we are to be a community of faith and ways that we're to support one another and ways, ways that we're to per pursue Christian growth. And so think about it this way. Instead of reading it just as sentences, I think breaking it down really makes it even more powerful. Where he says, always celebrate. Friends, I don't know about you, but 
I think this world could use a lot of people that want to celebrate a whole lot more than not celebrate, right? Never stop praying. It's like our children's sermon. I mean, it's not that we always have to be on our knees in prayer, but we can still have an attitude in a way that, that we are in communication with God even when we're walking through the halls or when we're doing what we're doing and we can just say, God, thank you, or God, give me some guidance, or God, just let me know that you're here. Maybe even God be with those, you know, bless those that I'm about to meet with. There are so many areas that we can be in prayer. In everything, be thankful. You know, that scripture, we always look at it. Or we have often in the times of, of Thanksgiving, during the Thanksgiving season and in fall. But Paul's saying, you know, so it's just building. Celebrate. Don't stop praying. Be thankful. Don't quench the Spirit, meaning when the Holy Spirit's working in and through your lives, when you're feeling an urging or something, when you're feeling something that you know is not of you, Paul's saying it may be the Spirit. Don't look down on prophecy. Test everything. If something is good, hold it fast. If something looks evil, keep it well away. See, it's a list that, that what Paul's doing is he's focusing on the joy of what it means to be a part of the community of faith. He's focusing on, on the joy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul isn't laying out a list and saying wrath, condemnation, punishment, is he? But if we can focus on the good and what it means for us to celebrate and to pray and to be thankful and to, to look to the Spirit and to be willing to listen to God's voices in our midst, and to, you know, but, but also to test everything. Because blindly following what we hear isn't always the thing that we're supposed to do. But I think what he's doing is he's reminding the Thessalonians and he's reminding us is that the gospel of Jesus at its end is a gospel of joy. Is that in all the things we receive, in all the things we read, in all of the ways that God works in and through our lives, at its base, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the salvation you've been offered, it's based in joy. That even as you face hardship, even as you face uh, pain, even as there is uncertainty before you, the gospel of Jesus Christ ultimately ends with the joy of the resurrection. And so, friends, if we look at his letter and all of the things that he has written, ultimately, what he's wrapping it up with is that God's desire for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that because of being followers of Jesus Christ, we will be a people of joy. People who rejoice and pray, who are thankful, it's not his will for us to be unhappy and ungrateful, and he wants us to strive to be the ones who provide joy into the lives of others, into our church community, and into our larger world, not because things are perfect, not ignoring changes that need to be made, not, you know, but in Jesus Christ, we've received something that's greater, that's better, and something that at its root ultimately should bring nothing but joy to you and me. Because see, that's the gift that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the joy of eternal life. And so to experience joy, we can celebrate, 
We can never stop praying. We can in everything be thankful, not quench the Spirit. Don't look down on prophecy. We can test everything. And if something is good, we got to hold it fast. And if something looks evil, push it well away. Because at its root, even in challenges, even in stumbles, even in everything else we experience, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of the resurrection. It's a gospel of life, and it's a gospel that brings us joy. Amen.